Thank you very much for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire here at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant filled life. May the Lord bless you as you listen to this sermon. I will be reading from Psalm 34, verse 15 through 18. And right after I read that, I'm going to be showing, uh, well, the media will be helping me out showing a little video that I have for you this morning. The word of the Lord said, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Amen. Probably my favorite pieces that we do are the pieces that we call the Redento Raffinato Vases. They look different because they were made out of all these broken pieces and they had all these different colors in them. These are just trimmings off of uh, the, the openings of pieces that we would do. And when we get tired of looking at all the junk pieces, we throw it in the trash can. And then when the trash can gets full, we take it to the dumpster. And when the dumpster gets full, they take that to the city dump. One day, Micah, my son, was digging through all that trash. And I said, what are you doing, son? He said, Dad, I thought we would take these broken pieces and we would roll them up on that pastorelli and make a raffinado out of them. And we started making them, and man, I started liking them more. And it sold within um, three or four hours out of taking it out of the oven for more than we'd ever sold any piece of glass for. We have glass in our furnace. You see the furnace behind me. There's a door. We open up that door. We take a blowpipe. We stick that blowpipe in the furnace, and we turn it for a count of about three. We pick it up, we take it out, and we have gathered a glob of glass on the end of that pipe. We have a steel table called a marver. Just a couple of passes on that marver, not only is it off center, but it's off on two or three different axes. And the issue is not just rolling the glass on the marver, but it's skillfully rolling the glass on the marver. You can make minute adjustments and fix anything that's wrong with that glass most generally. We have to blow a bubble into that solid mass of glass and introduce capacity into that. And once we introduce capacity into that glass, then according to my skill, then I can make it into be whatever I want it to be. But that fine detail, that finish work is really what sets some of these pieces off and sets them apart from the rest. One day I'm doing something in the glass and I realize, wow, that mirrors perfectly how God works in our life. How glass related to His plan of redemption. This piece has no future. It, it's not going anywhere. When Jesus comes into our heart to live in us, God has breathed His life in us and we have the capacity 
to be everything that God wants us to be. Marveling my life with the Word, and that means applying the Word of God in my life to fix things, because it's perfect. The Bible says He's the author and the finisher of our faith, and He has the skills to bring that about if we will just yield to Him and be pliable in His hands. Beautiful video. Picking up the broken pieces. If you see the video, all it started with picking up the broken pieces. He said, this piece is good for any, it's no good for anything. But one by one, his son Micah said, I'm going to do something creative with these things. I love the part that he said that he can mold that piece in whatever he wants. And not only that, he said, I sold this piece for more money than whatever piece I had in the past. As I thought about this, I struggled with myself. I remember a few years ago, I thought things were okay, and I felt completely broken. Everything that I had worked for, it went down the drain within a matter of day. I was upset, I was mad, I was hurt, I cried, I, I wanted to disappear, I really wanted the earth to open up and just finish up everything. I cried in my bed, I cried when I drove, I cried in my way to work, I mean I was just a mess. I went to church all the time. I was surrounded by people, and yet I was so lonely. And in the process of that, I had to, to, to ask myself, what do I do with all these broken pieces? I was working a secular job, and my boss was very pleased with my work ethics. And she noticed the difference in me one day. I would just sit on my desk and tears would flow from my eyes for no reason whatsoever. I was just so broken. And she called me into her office and she said, Noel, what do you need? And I told, her, I told her, I said, I just need time away from the office. She looked at me and said, how much time do you need? And I told her, I need two weeks. She leaned back into her chair, opened her purse, gave me $380, and said, just drop everything and leave. And this was the time when the, uh, the, uh, the financial, uh, financial meltdown, you know, the economy went bankrupt, and so many people were losing their job. The country was cutting positions. And she told me, and do not worry about your job. If, if by any reason the county uh, cuts your position, I will make sure that you get a job. She has no clue what that meant to me. And this is a woman who does not believe in God. So I dropped everything the way I had it in my desk, and I left for two weeks. And I 
take the time to, to look at the broken pieces and I can see that, you know, everything is spread out. And I say, I could do three things with these pieces. I could look at the pieces and in order, in order and live a life of misery. And in what if? I could gather them together and hide them and pretend that it never happened and live a life of bitterness and a struggle all through my life because of the unforgiveness in my heart. Or I could take those pieces and bring it to Jesus and say, Jesus, here they are. You can do whatever you please, whatever pleases you and just move on from there. And as I think about this, I notice that the Bible is full of people that were broken. And they had to make the same decision, whether to run to God for, for an answer or for, or for deliverance, or just, you know, become stiff-necked, hard-headed, stubborn, and suffer even greater consequences for not turning to God. How many of you think that life is not fair? Around every corner, every crossroad, there is always danger. There is always disappointment. There is always trials. There is always, you know, uh, sicknesses and even death awaiting many of us. I wish I could tell you that the day that you gave your life to Jesus, everything will be smooth sailing. Sadly, there's a lot of preaching out there going about this. But I have to tell you, I can't, but I do know that even though you walk through the valley or what, you should feel what? For he is with you. I can tell you that when you pass through the waters, he will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, it will not sweep you away. When you walk through the fire, it will not set you ablaze. You know Why? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. So even, even though the storm will surely come, there is still a reason to rejoice. There is still a reason to believe that God is in control. How can, how can we accomplish this? How can we take these pieces and surrender them to God? Well, crying out to her, to him, will be the first step. And, and I think one of the, the greatest examples of that in the Bible, we can find it in the book of First Samuel. We find a woman over here that she is completely broken. Life hasn't been so kind to her, and she thinks that even God is against her. You read the story of Hannah. She loved the Lord. She feared the Lord. But there was something wrong with her. You know, she couldn't have a child. She, she, she couldn't have the blessing to be a mother. She couldn't have the blessing to be to, in her sea to bless all the families of the earth. One of the things that we find when you study the, 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 the story of Hannah is that sometimes when you're trying to worship God, it's when the enemy comes against you. Look at what her rival did to her. When she wanted to go to the house of the Lord, you know, she will mock her. She will make her bitter. She will just enjoy the fact that she has something that the other doesn't have. That's the work of the devil, because the work of the devil is trying to discourage you. It's trying to make you forget that God is still faithful in the midst of your trials. 
Amen. You can very quiet this morning. In the midst of the trial. And as I read this passage, uh, the, the, the story is so beautiful. It starts with a simple person. It starts with a person that says, certain men live in a certain place. And it gives the story of what kind of man is this. This is a man who has two wives. This is a man who has one wife with children and the other one does not have children. And the, the one that really uh, cares for the things of the Lord is the one that is pain, suffering the consequences. And verse 7 said, This went up year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and will not eat. Whenever she went up to the house of the Lord. You know, there's people that their job in life is to make us lose communion with God. And we have to be careful with that. Yes, you can praise the Lord. You heard what I said? There's people, even in the church, that their job is to make you lose your communion with God. And we have to realize that behind that person, there is another power acting. And we must not get caught up in the midst of it. We have to cry out to God. And I, you know, she said, in verse eight, verse eight, said her husband Elkanah who said to her, "Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sums?" He didn't realize what a son meant to Hannah. You know, possessions didn't mean much to her. He didn't see her brokenness the way she saw the brokenness. You know, and it's funny because sometimes we think that giving stuff away will take the pain away. You know, it might take your mind away for a few minutes while you're passing the credit card here and there. But at some point, you're going to get the bill back. <laughs> it's not, it's, the problem is not going away. It will only go away when you realize that God is the one in control and that God is the one that can bring the peace that you are longing for. Verse 10 says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give in to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will be ever used on his head. And I love the part this woman is asking God for her son, but yet she's willing to give it back to God. Not for one day, not for two days, not for a month or for two years, for all the rest of his life. So she believed that God not only was worthy to get to receive back what she was what she could have, but at the same time that the child could be a blessing to God, and by the child being a blessing to God, it will be a blessing to her. And we see that in, 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 in this contrast where, you know, how many times do we ask the Lord to do something on our behalf? God, if you do this, 
I used to work in the legal system for years. And I remember so many, we used to get all kinds of letters from people that were in jail or the penitentiary. And in those letters, they promised so many things. God, if you only will do this for me, if my sentence get reduced, if I get out of here, if, and you know, and I remember reading some of those letters. And yet they got out and went back again a couple months later. Because they're not, their heart was not in the right place. And I think that when Hannah went before the Lord, she realized, God, I am so broken that all that I need is just an intervention for you. And if you do meet my needs right now, I promise you, Lord, that it's going to be given back to you. Because it's better in your hands than in my own hands. And I love that experience with Hannah. Uh, with Hannah in that regard, you know, her suffering didn't uh, uh, push her away from God, but instead it brought her closer to him. Her inability to have children was a moment in which she realized how blessed she was to be able to go into the house of the Lord and worship him for all the goodness that he has uh, done to her. And I believe that if we put ourselves in the same position, we will also realize that God is at work even when we don't see him at work. He is the work. And, I, you know, the, the Lord was in the midst of the situation. The Lord hasn't forgotten about that. But I, one of the things that, that the, uh, the expository comment, uh, that the uh, Bible uh, expository commentary says, say, if Penina probably hasn't been so pushy against Hannah, most likely wouldn't have turned her away, you know, into seeking the Lord. What I mean by this, sometimes those trials in your life will get you uh, closer to the Lord and will push you to the point where you plead with him so hard that you will get an answer from him if you just persist on that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We must realize that God is always at work. Brokenness can make you really hard. You know, you can take an egg, which is really soft, and you boil, and what will happen with that egg? It becomes hard. You can take a carrot that is hard, and you boil it, and it becomes soft. You can take coffee, and if you try to eat it without boiling, it's bitter. But once you boil it, to those who love drinking coffee, it's it's something good. <laughs> you know, I get an amen. Right? So brokenness in your life can push you into one of these directions. So which one do you want to be? The second thing is that in order to experience to get away from this brokenness, you have to learn to forgive the person who broke you. You hear what I said? And this is a really hard one. I think about Joseph. God had a plan for him. 
God was revealing his plan to him through, through dreams. But I don't think that it, was in, that it was in God's plan to get the dreams fulfilled in his life the way that his brother intended. So Joseph had every reason to hate his brother. He had every reason to take, to, to, to avenge. He had every reason to hold a grudge. He had every reason to make them pay for what they did to him. He had every reason to allow his heart to grow cold and indifference to their needs. And of course, we hear that voice of the enemy that said, you know, they did it to you. Why not, not do it to them? Make them pay for it. And as believers, as believer, we have to be careful that we are not listening to the voice of the enemy. We have to be careful that, to, to be listening to the voice of God because the voice of God will push you in the right direction where healing can take place. You know, I think that we overlook the the point a lot of time because we read the, we read the Bible and it's such a rush that we miss the emotions that that is driving the writer through the narrative. We 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 overlook the passion. We we overlook the grief or or the struggles that that the that the person that the person is going through. I always. Thought about this, you know, uh, imagine the relationship of Joseph and his father. You can see the, the, the whole drama unfold as the father expressed uh, the death of his son, or, you know, or, or, or the, the fact that he's no longer around. And it's something that Joseph pretty much carried all the way until the day that his children come back from Egypt and say, Joseph lives, and Joseph is alive, and Joseph is well, and he's the Lord over all Egypt. And the Bible said, that he gained life once again. So in the process of selling Joseph, not only did Joseph suffer the consequence, but his father suffered the, suffered the consequence and the brothers suffered the consequence because they see the father, how much they are, they are affected their lives by their decisions and their own, uh, you know, uh, desires. At the end of Joseph. Jacob's life, we, we see how God graciously, graciously bestowed a favor on him because in his funeral, it's not only the children of Israel that are going to the funeral, but say that all the officials from Egypt, from the court, accompanying this old man to be buried. And there's a wailing for a long time, a couple months, they're wailing and crying and weeping. And I think about this, how God sometimes uses brokenness to bring us closest to, to his perfect plans. And when, when they get back, now the brothers are worried. Now we are in trouble. You know, he has every right to cut our head off if he wants. He has every right to, uh, to, you know, to let us go hungry. He has every right to take away everything that we have and just make us his slave. And we know that because in Genesis chapter 50, when, when they come to him in verse 15, it said, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pay us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? Yeah. You know, there's a time that we have to come to that understanding. 
everything that we do, whether good or bad, is gonna come, we will have to give an account to the Lord for that. So they're worried right now that their actions might have repercussions. And so, so they, they sent someone to Joseph saying, your father left this instruction before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brother their sins, uh, their sins and their wrong that they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Some, a lot of writers don't believe that Jacob never find out about what happened to Joseph. All the writers do. As a matter of fact, in, in 47, 5 years of 47, uh, 49, 6, when he's imparting the blessing, he believed that jo Jacob knew very well that were the chief of these were Simeon and Levi. But regardless of that, you know, the brothers find themselves in a difficult position right now. And, and, you know, and they say, please forgive us. Now, what do we do most of the time when somebody asks us, forgive us? Give me one single reason what I should do. And <laughs> one single reason. You know, and it's that, that voice that keeps telling us, don't do it, don't do it. And yes, God in the other side said, you got to do it because I forgave yours all your sins. Your past, your present, and your futures are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Joseph wept. And in 18, he said, his brother then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slave. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I, I, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, he already told them that back in Genesis 41, 31, that God sent him ahead. And it's, it's how do we see God working in our lives? I can tell you that I got over the next day. I'm telling you. It, it went on for a really long day, for many days. And it's still, I struggle with the fact that I know that God had taken the broken pieces that we have, and he's putting them together once again. And I'm trusting that he will do what a righteous God always does which is fulfill his plans in our lives when we are faithful and surrender all to him. Amen. Surrender all to him. So as we, as we, as we can see this, we got to realize that not only do we uh, cry out to God, but we have to be willing to forgive those who are causing the, break, the brokenness. It's not easy sometimes, especially when we were in the right and they were in the wrong. But God doesn't see it that way. Because in the process of forgiveness, 
the one that really is set free is not a person, it's you. Because you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life and use that event for good. Paul writes to the Philippians, said, but I can tell you that all the things that happened to me are resorted to what? In the good of the gospel. Philippians 1.12. See, God can use those things. And then what, what he does is that all the people will see how you were able to stand the storm of life and remain faithful to the living God. Because many are watching how do we respond to these difficult times in our lives. The enemy just wants you to give up. The enemy just wants you to say, I'm throwing the towel, and this is it. Forget about it. But we don't do that. Because we serve a living God. The third thing that I believe that is important when dealing with brokenness is learning to move on. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about um, the, the Riverstone journey, and we have four points. And one of those points, the point number two, was uh, living joyfully. And as a pastor, I, Pastor Neem was talking about the people that were going to take part of this, I could say, I kept thinking, oh, I'll be, I, please give me three or give me four. But don't give me two, living joyfully. I said, I already know a person who can handle that very well. You see, I know Sister Dolores Carr for over 20-some years. And I know that she had some really rough time. But I don't remember seeing the, Sister Dolores sad. I had seen her one or two uh, times upset, but no, she always had joy. Amen. And then Sister Nim said, Noel, you do number two. You know? So we need to learn to move on. You know, and experience the life that God wants us to have. Thank you, Jesus. Look at First Samuel with me, Second Samuel with me, chapter twelve, verse eighteen. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they told. While the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate, something crazy. David noticed that, that these attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes. They replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he watched, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and what? Worship. Then he went to his own house, and, his request, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. To me, this is one of the craziest stories in the Bible. 
We know the story David had committed sin before the Lord. And the consequence of that is that the child now is sick. Seven days later, the child is dead. David's been praying so hard to God, God, please do something about it. And it's like many of us sometimes when we want what we want, we pray to God, God, please. You know, we cry out, we, we, we jump, we do whatever is necessary. But when the, the prayer is not answered the way we want it to, then our, our response to God many times is an indifferent response. But David got up from there. He went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. He, he recognized and acknowledged that God is sovereign and God will do whatever righteous God pleases and something good can come out of it. Notice what, he's, what he tells to his attendant. His attendant asking, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you got up and eat? It's not normal. And that's what he's telling me. You're supposed to be really brokenhearted right now. You're supposed to be really depressed. You're supposed to be really, really, you know, uh, uh, what is the word that I'm looking for? I will tell you that in Spanish, but I can't. <laughs> he just so downcast right now. Well, they were hoping that he would be so downcast. He answered them, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept and I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that the child is there, why should I go on on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he, but he will not return to me. David recognized God is sovereign. He moved from there. You can see that in the life of Hannah. After she prayed to God, she said, the Bible said that she went home and she was never done cast again. She moved on. She put him in the... In God's hand. And then at the end, one of my favorite stories is the story of Ruth. Of course, we give Ruth a lot of credit, but the truth of the matter is, without Naomi, we wouldn't have a Ruth. And we see the place where, it take, where the whole things unfold is the little city of Bethlehem, Ephrath. This is the little city where we read in the book of Genesis when Jacob is coming in his way back to his home. His beloved Rachel is dead. And out of her death comes the son of sorrows. And out of that son of sorrow comes the son of the right hand. It is the same place where we see that gives Israel one of the greatest kings, King David. Not only a king, but an awesome writer and poet. Worship the Lord with all his soul. It is the same place where we see that three of David's mighty men cross into the Philistine camp just to grab water and give in to their, to their chief. And this is the same place where we know that our Savior Jesus Christ is born. Do not be afraid, for behold, I have great news, for behold, it is born into you this day in the city of David, a Savior which is who? Christ the Lord. This is the little 
place where we move on, the little Bethlehem right now. These people are okay for a little season and then famine and strike the land. Naomi, her husband, her two sons, they had to make a decision. What are we going to do? The sheep are dying. The goats are dying. The, the, there's no water. The land is not producing. What are we going to do about it? We love this place, but we maybe had to move away for a little bit. So they go to Moab, the closest place to them. See, Moab wasn't a great place in terms of worship. That's where they worship Chimos or Chimos, whatever you want to call this idol. But they didn't embrace that in the midst of living as a foreigner or immigrants. They worship the living God. And this is something that we as foreigners can learn a whole lot. The story unfolds, the husband died, the, the children marry foreign women. Within 10 years, they're also gone. Naomi is left with two lads. She says, it's time for me to go back home. It's time for me to move on. You know, and the beauty of that is every time that you need to move on, that you choose to move on, God is already at work ahead of you. So the question is whether you're going to stay where you are in your sorrow and your misery and your brokenness or move on and allow God to do the work that he has already pre-planned for you. Amen. And I can, I can see the role playing here. And she said, I'm going to go home. And look, when Naomi goes back home, she said, I went to Moab. Full, but I come back empty. And that's not true because she's full because Ruth is with her. And in the process of living in Moab, not only did she keep her faith, but she also was able to spread the gospel or the news or, you know, or the message of the true God to those two women that were living with her. Moving on. I'm not exactly sure where you are today. I'm not exactly sure what you haven't gone through. But I can tell you, God is already at work. But it's time to move on and allow God to do the work that he has predetermined for your life. Amen. I have a song that Sister McCready will play. And I will open the altar right now. If you feel like the Lord spoke to you this morning and you need someone to pray for you, feel free to come forward and we'll have people praying for you. Men will be praying with men and women will be praying with women. God sees your broken heart. God sees the, the brokenness that you have gone through and he's here to mend you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I have given what you put in my heart to share with this congregation this morning.
You know, Lord, that is always a big struggle in my heart when it comes to share. Even though I have done this for many years, I still get nervous, oh God. And the reason I believe is, oh God, is because this is not my doing. This is the doing of the Holy Spirit. God, as men and men and women, we have to realize that there's an enemy out there, and He uses whatever is available to cause us to faint. But we also know, God, that You are mindful of us, and that You're close to the broken heart and to the crushing spirit at all times. God, I thank you so much for allowing me to share with you people this morning. And I pray, God, that we will not just be hearers of the word, but we will be doers of it. And whatever that we wrestle with, let us bring it before you right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope you enjoyed today's message and that it encouraged you to take a step closer to Jesus. Please reach out to us if there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about. To get more information about Riverstone Church, you can visit riverstonechurch.net. God bless you this week, and may you walk in all of Christ's promises and plans for your life.